when we contemplate the Dhamma, they again to emphasize the use of the word world is the psychological world we create out of ignorance. And uh, the Buddhist language is uh, it's a psychological language. It's dealing with the mind. So when translated into English, oftentimes there's a lot of misunderstandings because when we talk about the end of the world in Buddhism, it's, it means different than the end of the world in English. A common interpretation of that in English is, is a different thing than end of the world in Buddhist terms. End of ignorance. When we say knower of the worlds, we say, loka we do, knower of the worlds. I know there's a tendency to want to say knower of the world as if there was one world, isn't it? Because worlds in English is never, is never plural, it's the world. But the Buddha is the knower of the worlds. And these are the, the Buddha knows the worlds, the things that, uh, that, that we create out of our ignorance, desires and fears. Knows the knows the worlds, knower of the worlds, a loka vidu. A vidu is a seer, one who sees into things, knows things as they are. A sage, one who is wise. So contemplate the worlds that you create. And this is in, uh, say, this retreat, uh, not to judge the worlds, not asking you to make judgments, but to, to witness, be the witness to, the, to what you create out of ignorance, the habits of your mind. The knower, the witness, the loka we do, the knower of the worlds. Uh, the, the, this refuge in Buddha is actually is 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 being that being the knower, the knowing. Uh, recognize this word know is the K N O W know is 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 a very is 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 how is very much a function of of, of our mind, isn't it? To know things through sanya, through perception, or through consciousness. Isn't it? We, consciousness means to know, and sanya is to know about something, to have a name for something, to have a have a, attri- have attributes and descriptions, perceptions of things. For example, if this, if the consciousness is, is one is conscious of the clock. Well, let's say when this 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 object contacts the eye, when your eye contacts the object, consciousness arises, that's eye consciousness. Then the perception clock, we put onto it a perception, don't we, of clock. And if you don't speak English, then you call it nalika, which is Thai for clock. (laughs) 
Italian? <laughs> What's Italian for? <laughs> he's, he's forgotten. <laughs> what? I think he's over lunch. What kind of Italian are you? <laughs> So perception is is a is a function of our mind. It's communication. It's language. We perceive ourselves, don't we? I perceive me. If there's just consciousness before there's a perception, or if there's a, just awareness, there's no perception of me. So we put that perception onto an I am. Ajahn Sumato, Mahatero, or I am, depending on who, who I'm trying to impress or who I'm trying to communicate, how many titles or how, or how informal or formal the perceptions might become. I am a man. I am an American. I am a Buddhist. These are the perceptions we create in our minds. And it can be merely communication, a function, a conventional reality that we use for communication about worldly situations or mundane conditions. Or we can believe it as something more than a perception. That The self-view, the atta view, is always uh, a kind of belief that that the perceptions one has about oneself are more real than they are. The underlying assumptions, the conceit, the, the clinging, the attachment to this is, is not noticed. And we, we, since we don't know how our mind works, we tend to just believe that somehow I am Sumedho Bhikkhu, kind of as a continuous, permanent person, When we take any one of you, if I go off to my room and I start thinking about Ajahn Jakaro, where is Ajahn Jakaro then, as far as I'm concerned? He's in my mind, isn't he? He's physically maybe over in his own room. But in, I'm in my room, and yet I'm thinking of perceiving Ajahn Jakaro. And then I, have, then I can think about... The, the old days in Thailand and what he was like when we lived together at Boon Wai, Wat Pa, America Wat. <laughs> was its original name. Anjan Cha liked to make puns and he, his first was called Wat Pa, America Wat, which was, would seem to, for Thai people found very amusing. <laughs> So that's the, that's memory, isn't it? And and then I, and I have these perceptions of my mind. I can think I can I can remember a childhood friend, no, that I haven't seen since I was four years old. I can remember that little friend. But now he must be just like me, not little anymore. But yet, I can only remember that person as four years old. 
I can't, I can't imagine what he would look like now at 54 years old. Maybe he's dead, or maybe he died in between, or whatever. But this is the this is the function. This is memory and sanya, what we call sanya, ability to remember and to perceive things. Well, this is quite a, a wonderful gift to be able to to have a language, isn't it? To be able to say Bhutang Saranangachami, that's quite a miracle in itself. To have, where does this voice and ability to speak and communicate with it come from? Uh, to be able to sing or to chant or to speak a language, to have concepts, to create concepts, to perceive things, to be able to com- communicate a feeling or a perception to somebody else, or just to, to describe something or tell somebody about something or other, or give an order or a command. The ability to create perceptions about what is unperceived, unperceivable. Isn't it? When we talk about God or ultimate reality or the, the Dhamma, these are perceptions about that which is beyond perception. Well, that's quite marvelous that we can, at least we, the, the danger always lies in the grasping of the perceptions. That's the big problem with the Christians, isn't it? They always, they grab their perceptions as being somehow <clears throat> absolute, like God is somehow is the Christian perception of God, it it becomes an absolute right and good perception which makes any other perception of the same, of ultimate reality as not being as good or not being right. And yet, a rose by any other name (laughs) has the same fragrance, doesn't it? You can call a rose a turd and it still smells like a rose. <laughs> so God, or the ultimate reality, is, isn't, a, isn't, isn't a perception. There's no absolutely right perception for that. Perceptions are conventions only, and and they are and they go wrong only if grasped. If you don't understand the nature of perception and its limitation, then you end up becoming a a hypocrite or a bigot or someone who who's mis, misguided, who can't see things, who's, who's grasping something and calling it some uh, and believing it to be something it it, it can never be. And this is where so much of the quibbling in religion, fighting and misunderstanding takes place because, uh, you know, whose, whose perceptions are the, are, the, uh, are the right ones. And that, then it just is a matter of opinion, isn't it? Of belief and opinion. 
where in say in, in when you contemplate things when you reflect and investigate then you transcend the the limitation you see the limitation of the perspective for the conventional realm and the ability to perceive and conceive and this conditioned realm you you have a a perspective for that it's it, it's related to the ultimate reality it's not there's no there's no condition that is ultimate conditions are only conditions conditions are impermanent so sometimes uh, the conditioned realm is, is some things are better than others but they're not absolutely better there's nothing there's no, no thing that's absolutely good or absolutely right or absolutely bad or absolutely wrong is there things things or conditions the conditioned realm is relative relative it can be things are can be right and wrong good and bad but are relative not absolute so this is like morality That we, if we think of morality as a sila, as absolute, then we become moralistic. Then morality becomes a kind of tyranny. But then we call it moral uh, moral relativity is a kind of wishy-washy uh, stance, also, isn't it? If you say morality or sila is relative, then it sounds like uh, like you you're kind of wishy-washy. So you think, well, you know, it's, it's all right to have it. You say Suramaya Machabamatatana, but then you know, if you go in somebody's house and they offer you a glass of wine, it it, it would be rude to say no, and it's it's just it's just relative anyway. Suramaya <laughs> is not absolute; it's it's relative. So, you know, if if you want go to somebody's house and you don't want to offend them, and you want to kind of be in the spirit of the of the good feeling generated there, then take a little nip and won't hurt. <laughs> Since morality is only relative, not absolute. But that's not, that's not what I'm pointing to. It's, it's just an excuse either not to dismiss morality as merely relative and so therefore it doesn't, it's not terribly important. But to, to, uh, really contemplate and have insight into into the value of the relative world not as some kind of absolute but as in its relativity because this is the the world that we that we know isn't it this relative world this changing world this ephemeral changing conditioned realm is what we we feel all the time is what we're feeling that it's a it's like this it can be quite painful and be quite oppressive and it can be quite unpleasant the the conditioned realm and it can also be very pleasant it's relative being being a, the conditions can be pleasant sometimes pleasant sometimes pleasant sometimes neither pleasant nor unpleasant so we get into the 
into the into the subject of vedana or feeling. Now, feeling is 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 the conditioned realm. The body is the body is a sensitive is a sense organ in its own right. It, it's sensitive, and it feels all the time, doesn't it? There's always feeling in the body, and the eyes, ears, nose, tongue. They're always feeling things. They're always feeling the attraction or the repulsion or the pleasure and pain or the beauty and ugliness of that which we experience in this conditioned realm, this sensory, sensitive realm. This is a realm of fire. This is, this is the fire, fiery realm, isn't it? Just look at the how you can just create fire, make fire suddenly appear just by scratching a stick on a matchbox, a little match. Where's the fire? Is it in the match? Just, is it in the box? But if you scratch the match on the box, you get a little flame. And then you can light a candle. And when the candle, uh, then that can, can, then the flame consumes the candle gradually. Where does electricity come from? What makes it possible to just suddenly push a button and you get get a light, like electric light? Where does that come from? Well, the sun's not out right now, is it? It's on the other side of the planet. Where does electricity come from? Where does the heat in your body come from? We, we recognize the miracle of like when just the birth process of when a microscopic little sperm enters an egg and look what happens 54 years later <laughs> it's miracle isn't it how did that happen just from a two little insignificant bits of protoplasm or whatever you call it primordial slime. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> what is in, in, in a little sperm? In, in an ejaculation, there, there are millions of them. These little, little fiery thing, they must be. They've got their energy or something. Where, where did the, how does it all work? Where does it all come from? In an egg, in the female. How do, that's, a, that's a mystery, isn't it? The egg. We don't think of human women as, as having eggs. We don't perceive ourselves in this way, do we? We perceive <laughs> chickens and ducks. 
so this is a is a is a very mysterious and wonderful universe which we investigate as Dhamma, which we open ourselves to as Dhamma. Or we can create a false world and miss the whole point of it. We can live in a silly, foolish, frightened, selfish, totally deluded world we create and not notice anything in a lifetime. We can just not notice or contemplate or wonder about anything as we live in a, in a conditioned realm of false perceptions and attachments and not in any way uh, experience or see Dhamma or the truth. Nothing can teach us anymore because we, we're fixed and conditioned by, by this, uh, this attachment to the perceptions that have been instilled in our mind. We might be just frightened living in a realm of fear. So we, we see fear and anxiety and worry about everything. Or we, we might create a, we, we might enjoy just creating a, a fan- fantasy world. A world that doesn't connect to anything other than, than something in your head. So the, when, we, when we don't take refuge in Dhamma, then we tend to live in, in these realms, in, in inferior states and caught up in, in not being with life, and not being sensitive and open to the way things are. Now, like on this retreat now, this is, is what you're encouraged to do, to, to open your heart, your mind to Dhamma, to the way things are. Everything is is teaching us something if we're willing to to open to it and and investigate. It's not going to come along and say, look at me. You have to open yourself to it. You have to you have to look and observe. Don't wait for the Dhamma to come along and say, hey, have a look at me. You have to because it, it it makes it doesn't make that demand on us, but we turn to it. We open ourselves to that's what taking refuge in Dhamma means. Then in Sangha, the Supatipano, Ujjupatipano, the 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 ones who do the good. This is this is the patipano, the, the the one who acts. These are like all of us, isn't it? We live, we breathe, we act, we speak, we move, we work. We can't just disappear and dissolve. We have a lifetime within a form that will move and act and work and speak. And so we we intend it toward the good, act on the good, do the good, speak the good. The direct, the the truth, the honor, the what is the truth, what is proper, what is right, what is accurate. And so this is Sangha, the Supatipano. This is what we in in uh, what our reflection is. When we take refuge in Sangha, we're taking refuge in the ability of human beings to do good, to do what is proper and right. 
what is for the welfare of other beings, what is kind, what is generous. So we, we don't attach to this thing, I'm, I'm a member of the Sangha, I'm, I do good. We take refuge. This, uh, this refuge is, is uh, something that is beyond just ourselves, isn't it? We are Sangha rather than I am a good person. Not trying to, to, to describe myself as a person, but uh, as a Sangha, this is, this is its purpose, is to do good, to refrain from doing evil things or saying unkind things to others. Now, in uh, there's this three, this this trinity. In this is this is in this is very significant in religious uh, convention, where you have uh, or the the relationships of things, where Buddha relates to Dhamma and Sangha. They they form a. It's it's not like they are. Um, they're not to be grasped as one against the other, but they are reflections, contemplations, to uh, to uh, to uh, contemplate what you're doing, the way things are. If you just like God without Jesus or the Holy Spirit remains. It's, to, it's an abstraction of the mind, the word God, and it, it doesn't, it tends to, to uh, one tends to idealize God, to have and an, make an idol of God. It's like if you have Dhamma, some, some people now are Dhammaists, they don't want Buddha, they want a kind of, of uh, egalitarian everybody's sangha type of attitude, no matter if you keep the precepts or what you're doing. You, you do, it tends, sangha gets kind of uh, neutralized into a meaning, meaningless thing, and Buddha gets taken out of it, so you get this kind of wishy-washy sangha and, and, and an idealized dhamma. But if you, if you appreciate the value of convention, why is there Buddha Dhamma Sangha, or why this Trinity? And psychologically, you you begin to appreciate it if you really reflect on it and, and investigate it. The knowing, the Buddha is the knowing, the Dhamma is the truth. Knowing the truth. This person here, this being, this bhikkhu, knowing that, uh, taking refuge in the in the knowing, and in the truth, and then living life in a way that is doing good, refraining from doing evil. So it comes always to the here and now. It's not, it's not Buddha as some, some abstract, or or, or some something out there or something separate.
our ultimate reality, deathlessness. These are. This is a. a this is, is to be realized. Now, what is? What do we mean by the word realized? A realization. Realization. I mean, it's a common enough word in English language, isn't it? Have you realized what you've just said, or what? Realize what? But what does it actually mean in this country? Realize nibbana. To realize the amata dhamma. And so it, it's it's the word real, isn't it? Reality. To be in touch with reality with the real rather than the ideal or the abstract or the evanescent or the ephemeral, the impermanent. So in, in Buddhism they aren't saying there's no ultimate reality. There, there's not, it's not a humanistic philosophy. It's not an atheism. But it's a very skillful tool for realization. A realization of Nibbana or realization of the Amatta Dhamma, the deathless truth. The real, the, 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 when, we, when we chant about the Third Noble Truth, the Niroda Satcha, isn't it? That, that we, we realize Niroda, we understand suffering. We let go of desire and we realize cessation or niroda, the end of desire, the cessation of desire. We realize it. It's real. It's not just a, a theory or an idea in our mind. And then we develop the, the path, the Eightfold Path. So these are, when we chant the Dhammajaka Sutta, isn't that that we, we chant the the first noble truth, you understand dukkha. There is dukkha. Dukkha should be understood. Dukkha has been understood. The three aspects of the first noble truth. That's the understanding. Barinyaya. Barinya. Remember Anagarika Brinya. Brinya in is a is Pali word, but also Thais use it. Uh, Brinya ache is a doctor's degree, PhD. You have Brinya ache. Brinya ache, or Brinya three is bachelor's, BA. Brinya is understanding. Barinyaya. So when we, we chant the, fir the first noble truth, they say there is dukkha, there is this suffering, this unsatisfactoriness, then it should be understood. There's a statement, isn't it? There's a statement, there is, there is dukkha. Then the next aspect, it should be understood. That, that form, should be understood, tells us what to do with it. And so we investigate suffering. You don't think about suffering as if it's some, some abstraction about the people in Armenia suffering. You're not, you're not 
you're not contemplating suffering as if it was happening to somebody else. You're contemplating, you're in understanding suffering, you recognize suffering that you're having, you're experiencing, your irritation, your doubt, your disillusionment, your anger, of what you're feeling, the suffering of that you're feeling. You're not, you're not just thinking of it in, as if it was happening to somebody else. To understand suffering, you have to look at yourself, in other words. You have to look at the way you are. So suffering should be understood. And then the insight knowledge that comes from looking at suffering, suffering is understood. Suffering is understood. Then the second noble truth, there is the origin of suffering, the arising of suffering. Samudaya satcha. There, and so the statement is, there is the arising of suffering. Then the, uh, the arising of suffering is due to desire, grasping desire. When you contemplate the arising of suffering, it's due to grasping of dhamma-dhanna, pavadhanna, vipavadhanha. So then the insight comes this desire should be let go of. Pahadapandhi. Uh, that pahana is the Pali word for letting go of things. To release, not, not to, to let go of it. So you, the, the desires, the yamadana, bhavadana, vipudana, to the insight knowledge is to let go. One should let go. The samuntaya, the, this, this desire should be let go of. So this should be is the insight. And then the, the third aspect is <clears throat> when, you've, when you've let go of something, you know it. You realize you've let go. This desire has been let go of. Pahinanti. So letting go <clears throat> is in regards to desire. Isn't suppression, is not annihilationism, not getting rid of. It's insight, knowledge, it's wisdom, letting go of the fire, letting go of the desire, which isn't uh, uh, turning, turning away and rejecting, but letting it go. It, desire should be let go of, this origin of suffering should be let go of. And then when you let go, when you practice letting go, then you have the, the third insight, desire has been let go of. Then the third noble truth, there is the cessation of suffering, nirodha satcha. And the, the, the insight is there is cessation. When you let go of desire and you know you've let go of desire, there's the knowing that, and the insight, knowledge, this jnana dasana, knowledge, that, that, you, that desire has been let go of, then you realize there is cessation of desires. Desire ceases. And then the, the second insight into the third noble truth is cessation should be realized. Should be realized. To be... To, 
to realize where things cease, the emptiness, the mind ground itself, to let go of desire, desire ceases. Where does it cease? If you're desire, then you'd, you'd be dead, didn't you? If desire ceased and you were just a desire, then that, there, there, wouldn't be, you, there wouldn't be anything. It would be annihilation. But because you're not desire, you can observe the cessation of desire. You can know and realize the cessation of desire. And, it, and so cessation should be realized. And then the third aspect, cessation has been realized. And then there's the insight into the Atangamaga, or the Eightfold Path. There is the path, the Eightfold Path, to the end of suffering, to the, the way out of suffering is this path. There is this path. It's right understanding, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. This should be developed. This path should be developed. Pawadapanti. Pawadapanti. Or bhavana, isn't it? The word bhavana comes from that. The bhavana or the development, cultivation of this path should be cultivated, should be developed. And then the realization, uh, the, third, the third insight knowledge is this path has been developed. Now that's just the, the formula really, that's the convention for reflection. Now the Paticca Samupada then is, is, an, a, a, is another skillful way of contemplating the second and third noble truths. The avicca bhajya sankara sankara bhajya vinyanang vinyana bhajya nama rupang nama rupa bhajya salayatanang salayatana bhajya paso Pasa bhajya vedana vedana bhajya dhanha dhanha bhajya upadhanang upadhana bhajya pavo pavo bhajya jati jati bhajya jaramaranang soka parite vatukatomanasa upaya sampavanti eva me. Now that's the second noble truth. That's, the, that, that's a, a kind of detailed description. So in that second noble truth, say the letting go, where does that take place in that chain, in that concatenation of the Paticca Samupada? Where does that take place? Well, if you're, st if you're still not sure of the path yet, if you're not, if you haven't, then you then you have to really look at at Vedana, don't you? At Vedana, because that's where the, the, the Dunha, that connects to Dunha. This is the feeling, isn't it? This is where we are vulnerable and where we get deluded is with our feelings. We're so attached and identified to feeling. And so uh, 
instilled with wrong views about ourselves as feeling. Uh, that feeling or Vedana is to be really investigated. So when you're feeling bad, or you're feeling good, or you're feeling uh, or beauty, and, uh, or ugliness, or uh, pleasure and pain, happiness and suffering, is, is to be looked at. What is it? Not to be indulged in or suppressed, but to be, to, to really study it, so that you're studying gamma dana, bhava dana, vipava dana, the, the three kinds of desires. Because those desires come from that feeling, from vedana. Vedana bhajaya dana, right there. Dana bhajaya upadana, clinging. And upadana bhajaya pavo, uh, which is becoming. And pavo bhajaya, it conditions or affects birth, jati, or the beginning. So in, in uh, your meditations now, really, to, to really look at that in, in dhanha and feeling. So you, you know the, how, how, what, it, what desire is, how it, how it arises from feeling when you're heedless. Like just with pain, physical pain. Isn't it? You, can, you sit and you get, you get pain in your legs or back or whatever. And then you... If you if you uh, if you investigate the feeling, you say, "Does it feel?" You ask yourself the obvious questions: Do I like this pain? I've got pain in my my right knee. Do I like this? No, I don't. So then I, but okay, you don't like it, but then. Go to it. What, what does it really feel like? Rather than just being averse to it and not liking it, what, what does it really, really understand it? Go right into it. What is its feeling? What is it? So you're, you're bringing the pain into full consciousness rather than just try, reacting to it with aversion. So that you, you begin to when, I found when I do this, then the pain is what it is, but you're not creating a world of aversion onto it, which is, which is unbearable. The world we create is unbearable. The pain is bearable, endurable. So I, I, I learned the difference between just the sensation that we call pain and the reaction, emotional reaction I have to it. Before I didn't know the difference, before I meditated, it was all just, I can't stand pain and I don't want it, and, I, I, and any time there's any, any sign of it, I've got to get away from it, I can't bear it. I'm afraid I might be exposed to pain in my life that I won't be able to bear. And uh, there's a tremendous fear of possible pain, physical pain, I used to have. Even before there was any pain, any, any possibility of anything extreme, there was always the, the worry that, what if what would I do if somebody tortured me? Uh, you read about uh, what happened in Chile, how, they, how they'd uh, uh, 
put electrodes on men's testicles. That must be absolutely excruciating. (laughs) I can't imagine anything more painful than, than being electrocuted there. Wouldn't that be horrible? And yet, just little pain, just little pains, little aches, and uh, just what 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 are what are they like? And and I found sometimes my reactions would be almost as strong as if I was as if uh, some uh, Chilean tyrant was was electrocuting my testicles. <laughs> I'd be just as, I'd be just as uh, kind of reactive and averse as it, over something relatively minor. So then the, the then the, that, that was just a habit, what they call a, a low pain threshold. You'd overreact. You were so frightened, so uh, threatened by the idea of pain that, that even just a little bit of pain would make you scream and yell like you were like it was you were being tortured or put on the rack. So in I remember in uh, in uh, Thailand in in, uh, in the monastery where you had to sit uh, in this polite posture, papier posture, there'd be there, and uh, and I used to have such pain, excruciating pain. But there you more or less had to you didn't have to grin, but you had to bear it. And, uh, and and so one investigated because there, there wasn't much option you more or less were forced into to looking at the pain because to get away from it would be was was uh, would be too kind of humiliating you expected to bear pain in Thailand rather than just run away from it so so I being a monk in Thailand I'm I put effort into looking at at physical pain that before I'd merely reacted to with aversion. Now that's just an obvious sensation of physical pain, isn't it? Physical pleasure, the same. Except pleasure tends to make us very dull, doesn't it? We, we lose our, our discriminative. As soon as things get pleasurable, we just want more. We want to completely absorb ourselves in it. If it's painful, we want to immediately get rid of it, and if it's pleasurable, we just want to just totally kind of indulge in, and absorb into the pleasure. So pleasure makes us very heedless, <clears throat> and we lose our ability to discriminate. The, we 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 can't see what we're doing because the the kind of fuzziness of the mind that's absorbed into pleasure. Your mind becomes very fuzzy and foggy when, when you're, say, uh, say, having sexual fantasies and things like this. Your, your mind, because that's pleasurable, you, you tend to get very fuzzy. Your sense of, of hiriotapa diminishes considerably, a sense of shame and all that, and, and seeing anything wrong or your discriminative faculties definitely uh, fade out, and all you do is is just get caught in a fuzzy mental state that's aiming at at seeking fulfillment of that pleasure. 
So pleasure is to be understood also. As, and it's a pleasure is suffering. What a wet blanket the Buddhist thought. <laughs> Even pleasure is put down. It's not, not pleasure is still pleasure. It's not saying pleasure isn't pleasure. But it is unsatisfactory to us. The sensual pleasure, uh, conditioned worldly pleasures, are never going to satisfy us and they're only going to delude us if we don't recognize them for what they are. So this, this way of investigation of Dhamma, uh, as you, as you uh, in, see that this Vedana Bhajaya Dhanha, this point here, go to the Vedana of you. It, if you're emotionally very distraught or confused or are doubtful or full of dis- disappointments or anger or jealousy or fears, go, go to the, the feeling. What does it feel like to be frightened or to be worried? Don't, don't uh, think about it. But go to the feeling. The, the, what is it? What is it? What is your heart, or your? What do your guts feel like when you're frightened, or you're, you're disillusioned, or or doubtful, or depressed? So you you're observing the vedana, how it feels, the feeling of it. Then then the desire comes, wanting to get rid of the feeling. There's, there's a whole pattern of behavior that, that you don't even know about that you've just acquired through, through life's experiences. Of when, a, when an uncertain feeling arises, you, you have a, a, a defense mechanism, modern psychology. You have a defense mechanism. Fear comes, uncertainty or that. There's all kinds of defense mechanisms. You, you, can, you can avoid the issues very quickly. You can, you can distract yourself. You can, it's almost, it's become so automatic, you don't even know it's happening until you start paying attention to it. Like the aching in the heart, the loneliness and the, 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 uh, the sense of separation. Just the sense of, of the heart, the heart chakra, and the, the, the sense of ache and anguish there that sometimes one has just not seen but has merely reacted to by trying to find happiness or find fulfillment in things or the conditioned realm. The fear is a great motivator, isn't it? Kind of anxieties and fears that just can really propel us into endless activities and distractions to get away from things. But so that, that, that during this retreat, really, really contemplate Vedana. What is, what is it as it, right now? What is the, the attractive, the, the pleasant, the painful, or the neither pleasant nor painful. 
Vedana. Like anapanasati is that that feeling of breathing is neither pleasant nor painful, is it? It's neither attractive nor repulsive. Or just the sitting posture, or standing, or walking, or lying down postures before any physical feeling comes in. With just the pressure, just when you're sitting, where you're not, just the posture itself. Is it, is there kind of real pleasure in it, or pain? Or is it just neither pleasant nor painful? Or, just the feel, I, I found like hunger was an interesting one. Uh, before, I, I was brought up in, my mother was very much uh, the kind of mother that said, you didn't have your lunch today. Oh dear, you're going to lose your health. You've got to be more careful. You need three square meals a day, definitely. So my, instilled in my mind from from, from babyhood was the idea that somehow I was going to fall apart if I didn't get three meals a day. And I didn't, wasn't conscious of that, but yet I did, when, when I began to contemplate this, I, I saw that, that any sign of hunger, would I'd feel any, any the slightest hunger pain whatsoever, I'd, I'd go look for something to eat. Because at home we always had cupboard in the, the fridge just chock full of things you could just grab when, whenever a pain, a hunger pain ever hit you. There were all these biscuits and things in the around the house that you could just go to. So you never you never noticed it except that you thought, "Oh, I'm hungry! <gasps> I've got to have something to eat!" and off you go. Then in the monastic life. Uh, where we ate one meal a day in the Watpa Then I thought, well, what would it be like to, to not eat, to fast? So I, I went on a fast and, and uh, just contemplated this, the, all the habits I had around wanting, because I mean, I'd gotten used to one meal a day, but that meal had become incredibly important to me. That made the day, that was the, the highlight of the day in monastic life, was the meal. So, and so when I went on this fast, I found myself, you know, all kinds of negative states and self-pity, a lot of self-pity. All those monks over there eating and I'm not, and, and uh, just, uh, and, and then when I really watched, investigated the feeling of hunger, I, I really wasn't very much. It's not much of a feeling, actually. It's com- totally bearable completely bearable feeling. It's uncomfortable, slightly uncomfortable, but completely one can bear it. <laughs> it's not like excruciating agony. It's, it's, it's a, a sensation that's bearable. And that made me feel, what a relief to know. that I just, because before I hadn't, I, ha- I couldn't bear it. Just one slight little hunger pain and off to the cupboard off to the fridge. So I hadn't, this, that was just the, 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 the stimulus, wasn't it? That's, that particular sensation, just a little bit, and then the reaction. But when you investigate it, 
found hunger, the feeling of hunger is, is, an, is uh, bearable. So this way you, 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 you begin to uh, understand things about why the world is the way it is, why people do the things they do, because they're conditioned to react and they create the world they live in. They're not the knower of the worlds, they're not the loka we do, they, they have become all kinds of things. And so they, they, and they're attached and they're deluded and when there's Vedana, there's Dunha, and Dunha, then there's clinging, and then there's, then there's becoming, and then there's rebirth, and then there's uh, Sokaparitewa and all the rest, the misery that comes from all that. So, in the Second Noble Truth, the, as you really investigate that point of Vedana, Dunha, Ubhatana, Pawa, you have the insight of letting go let go of things, release, relax. Letting go doesn't mean pushing away or getting rid of it, it means allowing things to go. What has arisen, allowing it to go, letting things go. If you look at things like anger or the demons that go on inside your mind. Now when we spread metta, we spread metta to the demons, don't we? We don't spread hatred to the demons. Now the demons in your mind say if you if you let them go, if you let the demons go, I mean the anger and meanness and jealousy, all the kind of demonic forces that you can that one can experience in the mind, if you let it go, then those demons cease, they die in your mind. You've allowed a miserable creature to fulfill its karma. To end. You're not making it come be reborn as a demon again and be miserable and nasty. Look at it like that. You're not killing the demons. You're not, you're not out of aversion and fear and anger, but you're actually out of great compassion and kindness allowing a demon to um, practice it with the demons and the tyrants in your own mind rather than trying to kill them with anger and aversion or indifference, you, you, you let them go. You allow them to cease. Because that is the end of them. They cease. They're not going to be... When you let things go, then, then you realize the cessation. The bliss of cessation. So that... And, and the joy that comes from from letting miserable things end their miserable lives and not have to be miserable anymore. So, so the, the the cessation of the of the conditioned realm, because what arises ceases, and conditions are like that. And, and if you're mindful, then then you then you develop and cultivate the eightfold path which means that in this life as a human being, you can respond to the totality of being. Your, your responses, your, your with, the flow of, li of living and the way things are. 
You are the Dhamma, the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, rather than somebody who has to become something or has to get rid of something. Now sometimes I get frustrated because, well, I've given talks like this many times and yet people still seem to not quite understand it. <laughs> so they, like when you, one thing you have to to learn to over, to uh, let go of is in the in the life of an ajahn is exasperation. An interesting mental state, <laughs> because no matter how well you try to put something or how clear you try to make dhamma, people still manage to to get it to not quite get it. It's not in, in actually, in in the word, is it? You you have to do something yourself. You can't depend upon me, uh, and ask me to 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 keep expounding dhamma. You have to realize dhamma yourself. So in this, vedana is an important emphasis. Vedana. As a, if in this uh, contemplation of Paticca Samupada, Vedana Bhajaya Dhanha, Dhanha Bhajaya Upadana. Upadana is a clinging. Upadana conditions becoming. So con- contemplate that sequence, like this evening. And all night sitting, you have opportunity to contemplate, to really, really, uh, uh, any any kind of physical sensation, or really notice the, that what happens during this evening. Not not just resist or or follow restlessness, but really, really observe, be the witness, be the knower of the worlds. the opportunity to to uh, practice and what is desire desire is comes from is conditioned by the vedana so that connection is very very important to to investigate because that's where we are isn't it that's where there's the vedana there's going to be feeling and then that's going to, if we're not mindful of the feeling, if we just react to the feeling, then, then, then that conditions the dunha or desire, which conditions, which conditions the clinging. It's important to really understand clinging, what clinging and desire and vedana, that, that sequence. So I offer this for your reflection.